know, I, I really believe, before we continue on in the teaching, um, God is, is for you. And <clears throat> I don't know how you feel about God right now, if, that's his, if it's super vague and distant or if it's super close and intimate and you feel like you know Jesus or you thought you used to, now you don't. I don't, I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey, but in my heart, I just feel like I need to say, like, I, God is close and he is mysterious. It's weird how we talk about him being close but don't like see him. I can't shake his hand right now. But I really believe God's here and I really believe he loves you a lot and that the best life is life with Jesus. So for all of the me's in this room that can be super skeptical and cynical and frustrated when I hear sentences like that in certain seasons of my life, I do believe it's true. And hopefully we'll get glimpses of that even today, that Jesus is here, that his spirit is here, and that he's for you, for real, all right? Um, so if that was for you, great. If it wasn't, it, well, I think it was for everybody, so never mind. Um, all right, Luke chapter nine. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's just true, so, uh, you know, you can all accept it. Um, Luke nine, we're gonna read verses one through six. And in this passage, I know I just made everyone look down at the Bible, but heads up one more time. Uh, we're gonna talk about um, kind of the, the, the words I wanna put over Luke 9, one through six is this idea of declaration and demonstration and how they both work together very, very well, okay? Jesus is going to instruct uh, his disciples to declare a reality of the kingdom and also display it, um, demonstrate it, all right? So, all right, let's read verse one. And Jesus, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure disease, and, and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now I wanna to skip to verse six. And they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus is going to command them, go and preach, proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. All right, he's like, go and talk about this reality and show it. Now, I don't know what this culture's like. I don't know how they would have heard that, okay? So maybe they understood that it only makes sense that you wouldn't just go talk about something, but you'd go live it. Like you'd go display that which you are talking about, right? That might've made total sense to first century listeners. They might've went, of course, and the people that they, the disciples showed up to and started preaching and, and displaying through healing the reality of the kingdom of God, it might've made sense. They all, it's usually how the package comes. We hear about it and we see it happening. But this is interesting instruction for our, for our culture today. Because oftentimes we don't see these two realities working together. This idea that we talk about it, but we also live it. And when I was thinking about the church, as we're known, whether fairly or unfairly, I think somewhat fairly and at other times unfairly, we are sort of known for leaning heavily in one of the directions of declaring and demonstrating. Declaring is kind of what we're known for, right? Like I, I talked to many people in church and outside of church, believe in God, don't believe in God, Love church, hate church. And I think a consensus that I have heard is on some level, they or someone they know have seen church and felt like that was a place where truths were preached, not lived out, right? It's like, I feel like our culture would maybe agree with that. That church is that place you go if you want someone to like yell at you and talk about rules and you have to look a certain way and dress a certain way and all these things, right? That's what happens um, when we as a body of believers are known more for our words, our declaration, and not our demonstration. Now, a reaction to that I see in a lot of churches now is since we've been known for being people that are on our high horses and we preach and we preach and we preach and we never live it, we're gonna do the opposite, right? The pendulum often swings that way. He goes, okay, now we'll just demonstrate it, right? We'll like, we'll show our love. 
We won't speak about why we're doing this. We'll just love well. And there's a problem with both ways of thinking. And Jesus didn't feel the same tension that I feel. You know, with this whole, like, which one's better, which one's more important, which one comes for whatever. Jesus said, do both. When you go places, proclaim the kingdom of God and bring healing with you. Like Jesus is in both the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. And we as Christians should be committed to both. Now, as we talk about this, it's really easy to identify with one or the other, right? Some of you are here and you're just really comfortable declaring the words of Jesus. Some of you aren't, but you've met someone that really is. You're like, I didn't know that person. I just met that person. I heard them say prayer and blessing in Jesus 17 times. They left and they spoke a prophetic word. I don't know what just happened, but I heard them talking about the gospel. You ever met someone like that? Is that just me? Okay, well, I knew someone personally like that, all right? And that can be me too. I relate to that. Like, I'm comfortable sliding in, talking about the kingdom, sliding out. And it's like, all right, cool. Like, I did my thing. I checked that box. I spoke the name of Jesus. I'm nervous now. Let's get out of here, right? Some of us are on the opposite side. We're like, no, we're in on loving people. And we recognize the baggage of the church, of church and culture and how there's just a lot of misunderstanding and hurt that's valid and real and it's just hard. And so we're just like, you know what? I'm just gonna love the mess out of people. Like I'm gonna be in the mess with them. I won't talk about Jesus because that's gonna be weird and awkward and I'm sure they're hurt by the Lord or by church or whatever. So whatever, I'm just gonna love them and love them and love them and love them and love them. And that's great, except that Jesus was like, I, I don't do that. I, I kind of just, it's like an all-in package. Like, with your, with your words, people get to hear about Jesus. But with your actions, people get to hear about Jesus. And demonstration and declaration are most powerful when they're like synchronized swimmers, when they're just, when they're just like weed in and out throughout each other. So that's one thing that, that I want us to hear today, is that wherever you fall on that spectrum, I'd rather talk about it or I'd rather show it and not talk about it, that I think Jesus... When talking about awakening a movement, sees both of those working hand in hand as a partnership in that we speak about the reality of Jesus. You know why? Jesus is great news. Like, does anyone know that? Like, he's great news. No matter what we've heard in culture and the church and the pushback against a lot of things, like Jesus is great news. So we speak about him. But we also demonstrate the kingdom of God because we know that hearts and lives are changed when they see the acts of God in people. So they work hand in hand. Does that make sense? Demonstration, declaration, okay? Let's keep moving. Um, All right, we're gonna jump down to verse 10. So there's this moment in verses seven through nine where we hear from Herod. Um, But verse 10 is like the next thing after the disciples have went out. And if I was gonna label this something, I would label it physical and spiritual. That's kind of the, the focus is here, physical and spiritual, all right? So verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Because remember, it said in verse six, they preached the gospel and there was healing everywhere. So that was epic, all right? And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida, Bethsaida, one of the two. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in the desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. So unless we're gonna go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. I'll stop there. Jesus does something really cool after that, okay? Like five pieces of bread and two fish ended up being more than enough. He multiplies it. It's a miracle. It's really normal. Like a little bit of food turns into food to feed thousands and thousands of people. It was really casual. Okay. I'm just kidding. It was amazing. So, um, so Jesus does this really cool thing. So the disciples, 
have done something here. I don't want to assume too much, okay? The disciples see thousands of people and not a lot of food and notice a problem. These people are hungry. They've traveled to come hear you. They're not going to eat unless we send them somewhere to get food. That could be a very logical thinking. I get if the disciples are there. But I also want you to notice, the disciples have left this uh, amazing adventure where they proclaim the kingdom, they've seen healing. Now Jesus is preaching, he's healing, like the words been like Billy Graham on steroids, like just amazing sermons and metaphors and all these things, everyone's worshiping. And the disciples seem to be content with the spiritual filling of the people being enough. Jesus, that's good, we've met their spiritual needs, we've, they've seen some people healed, let's send them away so they can go eat. And then Jesus is gonna do something really interesting. He's gonna go, no, I'm interested in feeding them physically. I'm in on that. I'm in on meeting a very real physical need. In fact, in this story, I would say God's power is most on display when these physical needs are met. This is important to me because in church, we can sometimes have this tendency, I don't wanna say to over-spiritualize, maybe over-emphasize spiritual life in comparison to the importance we put on the physical world, right? So for me, when I think about the importance of the gospel, I quickly think about salvation, right? People's heart coming to believe in Jesus, like salvation. Now, very clearly, that's huge. People knowing God, coming to life in Jesus, is, I mean, I want my whole life to be focused on that, right? That's important. However, especially in our culture, if the only focus is on getting someone to belief, and not actually seeing their real life, real needs, we begin to do something Jesus actually didn't do, as crazy as that sounds. Jesus so often showed an investment in this whole awakening and movement idea in meeting physical need. He makes it explicitly clear. He cares a lot about that. Therefore, as we are in our communities, we must be attentive and not ignorant to physical need, right? We've talked a lot, Larkin's been talking a lot about this, like not being ignorant to what our people need in the day-to-day, in their daily lives. And this is so important that we don't miss out on this chance to display the kingdom in this way. I believe that people, um, we're kind of, especially in our culture, we're past the point. The Holy Spirit is powerful and can do whatever the Holy Spirit wants. But a lot of people that have been jaded by religion in church are past the point of being talked into religion again. And that's what they hear it as. We're not preaching religion, we're preaching Jesus, obviously, but it's just hard, just facts. And I think it's because we've had this oversight. Being in the physical is so important. And the fact is, Jesus did not divide the spiritual with the physical. When he saw a human, he saw spiritual hunger that needed to be filled. He saw physical hunger that needed to be filled. He meets both. So that's big for us as a church to think, Jesus, how can I further your kingdom? When I'm thinking about awakening a movement, that the realities of heaven would meet the realities of earth in my context, how can I meet needs spiritually and physically? And we'll touch on that a little bit later, but spiritual and physical, that the kingdom of God is 100% invested in the needs of both. Both are so important. And now I want us to get down to verse 18 because I want us to see the result of this, Um, the result of a life that is focused on both declaring and demonstrating, being invested in the physical and the spiritual. In verse 18, it says, now it happened that he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who are the crowds saying that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, 
the Christ of God, like the Messiah, like the one that the scriptures have been talking about for thousands of years, you're him. And I love this because this is a result of watching Jesus demonstrate, declare, being the physical and spiritual, right? This didn't happen after one epic sermon where Jesus like went down the Romans road. Do you know what the Romans road is? It's a Baptist thing. No. All right. It's a little pamphlet. You get saved if you read it or you can. It's up to you, but it's the Romans road. All right. Um, But Peter didn't come to this like epiphany that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of God, God himself, because he heard a great sermon, right? He didn't come to this epiphany because he saw 5,000 people get fed or because he saw a dead person getting raised from the dead or that he saw a blind person see again. I think Peter came to realize how real the kingdom of God is and how real Jesus was in his midst because of all of it. Like all of it mattered, right? This will be a result of the church if we take seriously meeting the spiritual and physical need. Because if you're like me, you get this weird, anytime someone leaves the spiritual and goes to physical and says it's about both, and all, I'm like, yeah, but what about like getting people saved? And I'm like, man, when people see the kingdom of God breaking out in our communities, they will come to Jesus. Like it's a powerful thing when a, when a community of people are led by the spirit of God into the physical and spiritual needs and both talking about it and also acting on it. Like people will come to God. Like there is salvation to be had. That will come. I remember in my house church having someone who was like a suicidal atheist, straight up. And he felt God, he felt like what he, th- he was like, I don't know if it's God or not, but I think I want to be in a house church. Do you know of any? And I was like, dude, come hang in mine. And it wasn't, it definitely wasn't me talking. Like our community, like we just like gathered around and we spent months together and he came to believe. And he talked about how just watching the community of believers be the community of believers, let him know that God was in fact real. Now it's not always gonna look like that, right? This isn't a cookie cutter thing. There's not a formula. But I do wanna speak to like if we as the community of Jesus live into the things that Jesus is instructing us to live into, like we will see salvation. We will see people come to life in Jesus. Does that make sense? Are we still with me? Okay, we're, yes, let's go. We're, we're, we're in it and we're gonna keep moving. All right, um, so now I wanna take down to verse 23. In verse 23, I think it's gonna think, we're gonna talk about what it will take for us to step into this life with Jesus. I think this is a really interesting moment for Jesus to point this out now. Because Peter says, you're the Messiah. I wanna follow you. Like, I, I, I follow you and I understand who you are as I follow you. And then Jesus is gonna say this. This is very interesting. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And he goes on to say some amazing things. You can read it later. But Jesus says, if anyone's gonna follow me, there's gonna have to be this like replacement happening. Like you're gonna have to lose your life. Some of you are comfortable with talking about it. Some of you are, co- are comfortable with like living it out but not really talking about it. It's like, but if all of this is gonna really come together and, and come to like the fullness of the realities of heaven, come breaking forth in your life as you seek to participate in this awakening of a movement, it's gonna take dying to self. But what's awesome about that funeral moment where you die is like Jesus, his heart comes in and resurrects you. And you begin living what's called resurrection life with Jesus. But this is really hard, okay? It's like a beautiful thing, but it's also hard. Like we need the Holy Spirit, but I also wanna name some tension. So if you're hearing this, like this is what it means for us to awaken a movement. Participate in the demonstration and declaration, the physical and the spiritual, and I gotta deny myself. I wanna name some tensions that you might feel if you seek to step into this. Okay, Jesus, I wanna take you seriously as Messiah. What's it it look like, all right? So a few tensions that you might feel. 
I was listening to this podcast. By the way, podcasts are a thing. I, eight years ago, I saw the little icon and never looked at podcasts again, but they're amazing. I've been listening to this podcast called Revisionist History. Anybody? Revisionist History? Shout out, shout out to, all right, well, I thought it'd be more. Anyway, there's this guy named Malcolm Gladwell, okay? He's a genius, and I love listening to him, all right? Thank you, head nod, got it. Um, so he's amazing. Well, he started talking about this thing called, I think this is right, the threshold model of collective behavior. And thus, I just said the most intelligent sentence of my life. And I might not even be quoting it right. (laughs) Still the most intelligent. Um, The threshold model of collective behavior. He starts doing this study. And he he talks to this expert on this this research. But he, he basically looks into, there's something that happens when enough people do a thing or don't do a thing that makes an individual do that thing or not do a thing, regardless of their belief. No matter what they value, what they care about. If enough people do something, they'll eventually do it. He gives an example of like a grandma throwing a rock through her window at a riot. That might take a whole bunch of people to get that sweet grandma to do it, but she'll eventually do it if enough people do it. He actually gives a real example, not a grandma throwing a rock through uh, a window. He talks about this basketball player. His name was Wilt Chamberlain, all right? This is not a sports podcast, so if you don't like sports, I still advise the podcast, but this is a sports example. So Wilt Chamberlain's this like seven-footer, best basketball player in the league when he's in the league. He's putting up like 50, 60 points a game, literally. It's outstanding. However, he's terrible at free throws, all right? A guy that spends all of his time playing basketball only for a job can't stand 15 feet away from a basketball goal uncontested. That's why it's called a free throw. It's free, throw it in there, right? Shooting like this, he's shooting 40% from the free throw line. He's horrible. Four of 10, his, life, his life's work is putting that ball in the net. And from 15 feet, he cannot do it. And so someone comes along and suggests he start shooting a granny shot like this, okay? It's a perfect form, granny shot, all right? He starts shooting granny shots. His shooting percentage, no kidding, goes up 20%. 60%, not great, way better than 40, right? You're making more than you miss now, right? There's a game where he puts up 100 points, the most in NBA history, 100 points. He shoots 28 of 32, over 80% from the free throw line. Outstanding. All because he has now adapted a granny shot, right? It's ridiculous. Here's what's crazy. A season or two later, he stops doing it. He goes back to overhand and being terrible at free throws. Where's the logic in that? This dude is already amazing at basketball. If he can hit most of his free throws, he's actually unstoppable. But teams can go back to their strategy of fouling him and making him shoot free throws because he's terrible at free throws. And it's good that they only get one point or zero points, right? And he would later talk about it in his autobiography. He did it because he felt silly. No one else was doing it. This is a really good example of the threshold model of collective behavior. Even when you know something's right, if enough people aren't doing it, you won't do it. It's just too hard. If enough people aren't doing something, you won't. If they're doing something, you will. And in our culture, this is really important because there aren't a lot of cultural currents pointing us to Jesus. There's not a lot of things in our culture that the majority are doing that point us to the ways of Jesus. But here's what Jesus is gonna ask. I want your threshold to be me. Whatever I do, I want you to do it. I'm the one, I'm the one. You don't need a thousand people, you need me. If you see me doing it, I want you to do it. If you don't see me doing it, I don't want you doing it. That's what Jesus wants here. I think it's a glimpse into what that denial looks like. That not even in the church, 
Like if the church is doing something Jesus wouldn't do, then we don't do it. Like as followers of Jesus, he has authority in what we say and do and how we do it. Does that make sense? So one, we need to know that about ourselves. Attention and stepping in the life that Jesus has for us is how hard it is in a culture that's not really stepping into the ways of Jesus fully. So a lot of us, we're gonna have to be first steppers, like the first people to look around, see everyone doing their thing and go, I'm stepping out, like Peter on the water. Jesus, because you did it, I'm gonna do it, all right? So just know that tension about yourself that we all have in us. It's, it's really hard for us to go against what everyone else is doing, but I think Jesus is asking that um, if it's in order to follow him, okay? The second tension, it's to make a conversation like this. It's awaken a movement about special, spontaneous moments rather than life. Special, spontaneous moments rather than like the, the life. It's like making it about the short game and the long game. What I mean by this, I've had really amazing moments where I've had like this quick burst of obedience. I feel the spirit saying something. I go talk to someone that I've never met. I wanna pray for you, whatever. It goes well or it goes terrible. I don't know, but when it goes well, I'm like, boom, that's awakening a movement, right? I don't know them, peace. That was a great 30 second conversation and now we literally will never see each other again. But boom, like that's part of it. And I think we can accidentally think that. Like it's those like crazy weird God moments. But the problem with that is I think Jesus is talking more about, and by the way, that's an amazing thing. I think Jesus even did this. He had amazing conversations for like 10 minutes and then was like, all right, you just got, like you believe in me, go preach to your people. I, I gotta go and like die and resurrect and ascend to heaven, okay? And he would just leave them, right? Like there's room for that. There's room for those moments. I believe it's from God and with the spirit. However, if we get too focused on that, we miss what this is really about. It's about the long game. It's about relationship. Like this is about who you live with, who's around you, building like long, consistent relationships that are filled with you caring for and loving their spiritual and physical being. It's about loving God, right? Investing in that relationship and then loving people. This is the point of this. So this isn't like a go awaken a movement, go have like 25 conversations with strangers where you pray over them and, and preach the gospel. Although that could be a great thing for you to do. This is primarily about the relationships available to you over a span of time to pour in and love them, right? It, it, it gets tricky because if we don't do that, if we don't invest in loving people, they become like projects and, and just accidentally, even now, we don't even mean to do it, but they become like a, I had the conversation, I did the thing, right? That's not love. Like This is asking for loving people over a span of time, befriending them. All right, last thing. It's easy to make this a big leap externally and not internally. And I think this is more about like your heart, addressing what's already with you. So I've, growing up in a church, I heard about missionaries that would like sell everything, literally, and move to Africa. Like that wasn't just a metaphor. I like watched two people do this. And it was like, wow, they're awakening a movement. Or you read passages about selling everything. You're like, that's awakening a movement. Don't get me wrong. Again, this is all about balance, Right? There's, there's room for that. The spirit will call some to radically like change their circumstances, to leave their jobs, to leave their place of, that they call home, to go somewhere else. It's all good. But this conversation today about awakening a movement is for you where you're at. Like what if the neighborhood you're in, the job you're in, the campus you're at is where God placed you to awaken a movement right there. Like the places of immediate impact in conversation and relationship is exactly where God has you to awaken a movement, and I don't know why I've done this, but I've attached awakening a movement, seeing the kingdom of God come, as me like radically changing my circumstances. Jesus, you know, in his name, by the power of the spirit, God has placed you where you are for a reason. So picture your dorm room, 
Picture your sweet mates that play trumpet at midnight because it's Belmont and they don't care about the rules and they're freshmen and they sound really good for freshmen, right? It's like, that was, I had opera singers as sweet mates. Opera singers. I like opera. They were so loud, right? It's like, but picture them. They might be in your life for a reason. Picture your neighborhood, the street you're on, the job you work. Like, it's bigger than just your job. There's people around you and God might have placed you there so that you could participate and bringing the realities of heaven into your local context, okay? Um, so don't make it about this like big, huge, like external change. Like make it about your heart. Like, God, help me to see. Give me your eyes to see where I'm already at, how you're wanting heaven to just become a reality in my context. Hopefully that makes sense, okay? All right, so those are the three tensions. That's the big things. Demonstrate, declare, physical, spiritual. Jesus, his movement, his kingdom advancing is with all of those just like balanced so beautifully. And we need the spirit for that. So we'll go to communion and we'll, and we'll pray and like seek the spirit. And as we go to communion, I would ask you just to take some personal inventory. Where are you already really good at one of these things? Like if you love caring for physical need and befriending people and you don't love as much talking about Jesus, there's still a gift there. Like it's amazing that you love meeting physical needs. Or if you love taking the gospel and like speaking about Jesus and trying to lead them to Jesus, but you're a little slower to like build relationship like me. That's kind of me. I want to preach the gospel and then go, I've already got friends though. Like that's my, that's, that's my heart. That's, that's an issue of my heart. Like that's, that's a real thing, right? It's like, man, acknowledge one, God, thank you for like, you've given me this natural leaning, but also let's pray and ask God, would you help me on this other side? Help me to live a balanced life that values all of this because you value it, okay? Um, so um, I'm gonna pray for us. We'll stand together. I'll give some instructions on communion. Okay, does that make sense? All right, God, thank you for your word. Jesus, um, you're way bigger than like a 25 talk about, 25 minute talk about awakening a movement. Um, so we need, your, we need your spirit just to, just to lead conversations and hearts and for us to trust the long game, even with our own spiritual journey that you're molding us and building us up. But God, if anything's in the way, if you make it clear that something's in the way of us diving into obedience, would you help us just to have the courage to get rid of it? to die to ourselves, to, to pick up our cross and to follow your example um, with the promise of resurrection, the promise of life um, in hand. Jesus, we love you. Amen.